Welcome to this amazing, mind-blowing podcast. Right now on the line, well not on the line, in studio, I'm joined by Associate Professor James Headley from the Politics Department, Morena. How you going? Good, good, thanks. Good, glad to have you here. I'm just going to put your mic a little bit closer to your face. Sorry, I should have talked about it already. Right, we're going to talk about what's going on in the Ukraine, um, and well, around the Ukraine, really. Uh, well, inside as well. But um, I guess when we talk about what's happening in the Ukraine, we could go all the way back to 1991 uh, or 1993. Uh, but let's not. Let's go back to 2014, um, you know, around the time where we had the president of, of the Ukraine was quite cosy with, with the Russians at the time, um, Viktor Yankovic. Um, but the people didn't really agree with the sentiments at the time, did they? Uh, yeah, that was the time that uh, Ukraine was basically kind of put in a position of choosing between uh, doing a free trade agreement with the EU or kind of going with the customs union with Russia. And Yanukovych kind of uh, was weighing out, was going to go the EU way, and then there was pressure from Russia and and also some financial incentives. So he uh, decided to uh, turn down the free trade agreement and orientate towards Russia. And then we got that kind of revolt in the Madan, and ultimately Yanukovych... Uh, overthrown and fled, and a kind of pro-EU government came in. Mm, mm. Um, and then, of course, Russia annexed Crimea, and you had the uh, kind of breakaway rebellion in uh, the far east of Ukraine, in Luhansk and um, Donetsk, yeah. the kind of Russian-speaking area. Yeah, these are like the, the Crimea and those areas, like you said, they're the east. Um, they, uh, a lot of the people there identify themselves as being Russian. Yeah, and um, also it's kind of heavy industrial area. They saw their sort of economic interests, I think, also is orientated towards Russia. And also they'd voted for Yanukovych, so they sort of saw this as a revolt or a coup against their own um, elected leader. So we've still got the remnants of that, so that's not really been resolved. We've got um, those kind of breakaway self-declared republics supported by Russia, um, but formally um, theoretically part of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And there was a an attempt um, led by Germany and France to kind of resolve this called the Minsk Accords, um, but they've really kind of stalled. And Russia's kind of actions at the moment, partly in terms of the local context in Ukraine, is to try and kind of kickstart that. Um, but many people in the West kind of see them as a, as a non-starter and kind of giving too much to Russia. Uh, the Minsk Accord, I, would, I wouldn't trust anything that happened in that capital. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, it looks kind of weird looking at it now, yeah. <laughs> um, right, so I mean, so we're at this point now, I mean, um, the Ukraine has for a, a while wanted to be part of NATO, the uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, which is an intergovernmental military alliance, um, and that's a bit of a red line for Russia, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if we go back even further, back to, well, we could go back, as you said, back to 91. Um, but to 2008, and when Russia um, effectively invaded Georgia and mm. supported the breakaway republics there. And the spark for that was particularly, I mean, there were kind of, again, local um, tensions around those breakaway regions. But it was the wider context of Georgia and Ukraine being um, kind of orientating towards NATO and uh, the U.S. government at the time, I think that was still under Bush, um, mm. pushing for membership of NATO um, for Georgia and Ukraine. And, and basically what's happened is that when the Soviet Union broke up, 
uh, Russia kind of expected NATO to change or to kind of, or, or Russia even to be kind of allied with it um, as a kind of uh, organization that was set up as an anti Soviet yeah. organization. And NATO didn't, and then it began to enlarge, and Russia said, we, we don't think it should, and that part of the agreement with German reunification things was that it wouldn't. Um, and then gradually it did, and then um, basically Russia kept kind of drawing red lines and saying you can't go into the former Soviet republics, but then Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania joined. And so they've now drawn that red line at Ukraine and Georgia, Moldova as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, this is interesting, right? Because um, Russia, you know, you're getting closer and closer to Russia's borders with these countries mm. becoming part of NATO. So you can understand why Russia would be a little bit, you know, wary of that. Um, you know, because there's still, especially with a hardliner like Putin coming in when he did. Mm. Um, I can't, still can't believe they, they they picked Putin, but wasn't there like 20 people before they went through before, <laughs> That's right. before they got to Putin, who was quite yeah, and who was seen as a kind of stabilising influence in yeah. Russia. He was quite kind of welcomed at the time. That's right, but you get that power. It's all corrupting, yeah. James. It's all corrupting. Um, uh, he's been there too long. For sure. yeah. <laughs> I uh, mean, imagine having somebody in power for 21 years. It's, uh, it's yeah, you ask people immense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so. I mean, you can see from their point of view, and, but so really, when you're, and I can understand why people in Lat- Latvia and Ukraine and Georgia want to be aligned with the West as well in some ways, um, especially being part of Europe, which is very Westernized, or at least the West part of Europe is, is uber Westernized. Yep. Um, so, I mean, and with the, the promise of not going in after the reunification of Germany, um, it seems like the West is the aggressor. Well, I mean, there are lots of arguments about whether that promise was made, and it certainly wasn't done formally. Um, my own view is it was a mistake. NATO enlargement was a mistake, and that there was uh, still sort of anti-Russian kind of sentiments or kind of fears about Russia. And you're quite right that, uh, obviously, the Central East European countries saw Russia as a potential threat, having experienced um, Russian occupation for so long. Um, but from the Russian perspective... Um, NATO remained uh, uh, both an anti-Russian one, whatever NATO said, um, but also one that excluded if decisions were being made through NATO, like they were in former Yugoslavia in the, in the wars there, mm. rather than including Russia, then Russia was being left out of the wider kind of sec- security environment. And then also, I think and this was the context partly with Crimea and also before with Georgia, um, this sort of sense of encroachment of surrounding, and particularly in the Black Sea, which is sort of seen as kind of Russia's weak underbelly, as the kind of traditional thinking of it in the 19th century, um, that really getting surrounded, because of course Turkey's a member, mm. um, around to Greece and so on, um, uh, and then later on Romania and Bulgaria joining. So this sort of sense of being surrounded also in the Black Sea and through to the Mediterranean, and I think that's part of kind of the idea that Okay, NATO says it's not a threat, and it probably isn't. It is a defensive alliance, yeah. and you can see why states want to be a member of it. Um, but nevertheless, from the Russian perspective, um, they've been surrounded or, or kind of pushed out of their kind of area of interest by what they see as a hostile alliance. Yeah, and, and you know, even if it is defensive, uh, you've got defensive weapons that are going into these particular areas, um, and that you know, like um, the, I guess, kind of like the Iron Dome system that they've got in Israel, and things like that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, the member states, of course, you have NATO exercise, and this has been part of the sort of bubbling tensions over the last few years. I think kind of Russia does exercises in Belarus or over in the border, sort of near Estonia and so on. And NATO responds and does this and both sort of see it as a potential kind of threat. Yeah. Um, so, but but, um, but the actual kind of full members, of course, they are going to be, uh, they are going to kind of have weapons. They are going to have that kind of defensive um, guarantee, Article 5 of the NATO Treaty, uh, the collective defense if there is an attack. And as I said, I, I view NATO enlargement as a mistake. Yeah. There were also kind of domestic political things. There was pressure on Clinton, who wasn't really kind of in favor of it, but there was pressure on him in his re-election and so on. So the decision was made. Um, at the same time, what Russia is demanding, it's hard to see how any country or organization could agree to that, which is to say that to basically put a veto, Russia to put a veto on any sovereign state choosing yes. to join an alliance, mm, mm. which goes against all the sort of norms of international law and against this idea of kind of exclusive spheres of influence and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have, you know, they think they have a right to make these demands. And is that still their thinking and, and their traditional ties back to those Soviet states? Um, I think so. But it's also security thinking. Yeah. And I think it's both. Like with Ukraine, there's that strong identity, there's a strong uh, economic um, ident- um, links as well. Um, but it's also um, this sort of sense that, yeah, it will be a kind of security threat and that a kind of neutral Ukraine is is because of course that's where the attacks came from in the past yeah um, particularly of course the second world war that attack from from the west so some sort of buffer rather than having tre- troops up on the border is always sort of seen as an advantage for, for Russia um, I mean what will happen if Russia does go in will it be full war is it just you know the west supplying and supporting the Ukraine with equipment um, and, and enforcing new economic sanctions yeah I mean I think that's the interesting thing about this point about Ukraine not being a member of NATO and, and I'd say that in some ways this is a sort of manufacture crisis at the moment by Putin there's no imminent possibility of Ukraine or Georgia becoming members of NATO it's not really on the agenda and you can see why you can see why uh, western countries are wary about this and partly because they don't want to get into a war with Russia so they don't mm. want to have a, a member that might be attacked on the other hand that's the p- one reason why Ukraine wants to join so you've yeah. got this kind of weird situation where Russia's sort of saying we don't want you to join this um, organization that will give you a defense against us attacking therefore we may invade you which is <laughs> kind of um, rather under, undermines their their logic on it I think but um, there's a sort of disconnect I think between the kind of immediate um, build up of the troops and possible invasion with Ukraine and those wider demands about um, not joining NATO it's kind of almost like this is a lever, this is a threat, and they're trying to get these concessions, which they're not going to get, I think, from from Western leaders. Yeah. Uh, there may be other ones around kind of arms reductions and maybe kind of agreements about not having those exercises so much and so on. But um, there's no way the Western states are going to agree to veto on uh, those countries joining. So out of this, what does Putin do? Well, one thing that he might do is not back down as such but you know keep that kind of keep those troops there but um, um, not actually invade mm. and I would say one of the advantages of him effectively almost being a dictator now is that he can spin it in a way that doesn't look like he's kind of backed down too much yeah yeah. Um, but if he does act and, and we just don't know um, 
then my own suspicion, and I think this is as happened with Georgia in 2008, I, I'd be surprised if they went for an all-out invasion of the whole of Ukraine and put in a puppet government and that sort of thing. Yeah. It may happen. Um, I don't think it's in Putin's or Russia's interest, and I think in this case there actually would be a lot of opposition to it within Russia, and particularly the people of Ukraine, apart from maybe those in the Far East, uh, will not support this. It will be an occupation against the wishes of the population, and that is always a disaster. <laughs> it's a long-term disaster. It was a disaster for Russia and uh, for the Soviet Union and Afghanistan. It was yeah. a disaster for the US and, and Britain and so on in Iraq and so on. So they may do that. But I think it would be a strategic mistake. Um, instead, they may do a more kind of limited one of um, kind of hybrid warfare where they may sort of, what they're very good at, kind of do um, cyber attacks and so on. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some sort of destabilization, even assassinations in the rest of Ukraine. And then maybe more actively actually um, occupy those eastern breakaway territories and maybe recognize them as independent or, or kind of invite them to join uh, the Russian Federation like they did with Crimea. Yeah, yeah. What about shutting off the gas? Um, yep, that could happen. And the gas, the gas politics is very interesting. Mm. So there's some sort of um, frustration, I think, in a lot of Western capitals with Germany and the new German government, um, partly because Germany is quite reliant on Russian gas. Um, and... So part of the frustration is that, Russia, that Germany hasn't kind of moved away from that. They've also got this Nord 2 um, uh, gas pipeline about to open, which would bring Russian gas to Germany without going through Ukraine. Yeah. So there's pressure on Germany not to kind of open that. But as you say, they are quite reliant, and, and Russia's been using this as an instrument, which is why you've got this kind of gas and price crisis across a lot of Europe. Um, so Russia can respond with that sort of thing. The West would probably respond also with strong economic sanctions, stronger ones um, yes, I mean. <laughs> but again trying to target it, this is the problem I mean, they have kind of learned the lessons of places like Serbia, that Iraq before of course as well the kind of general economic sanctions tend to punish the population and, and often kind of make the population more in support of the leader rather than uh, turning them against them. Mm. So they try and do these targeted ones, but those are kind of there already anyway. So it's hard to see how it responds, uh, how to respond. I, mean, I think the signals are fairly clear, and that goes back to the point about Ukraine not joining NATO, that they won't militarily go in in support of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, there's also this politics around um, supply of weapons to Ukraine, defensive weapons. Um, so the Americans and um, Britain and so on have been um, providing anti-tank, anti-missile uh, weapons. Um, and Germany has recently stopped Estonia transferring some weapons, um, which originally came from Germany, from the old GDR, in fact, uh, to Ukraine. And this is interesting because this is very interesting sort of thing, especially for the new German government. Because always Germany, the same sort of things happen with Yugoslavia, that there's this sort of idea that the new Germany, the different Germany, doesn't support militarization. Yeah. On the other hand, the new Germany should also oppose aggression. Yes. And, and say Russia invading areas in the name of kind of uniting its, its diaspora and so on, which of course is what Hitler did. So it's interesting, say, with the Green partners in the, in the German coalition, that they want a kind of more um, value-based from policy and standing up to aggression and so on um, but at the same time maybe don't want a military response so you've got this kind of tensions within the German government as well as in and that means of course within the wider EU and NATO 
and, and I guess in a way it allows them to keep getting that gas. It does, <laughs> and I think the government there is Torn Schultz, the, the present Chancellor, is probably more concerned than, than others might be about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it's an interesting situation um, that could... I mean, I, I mean, there's no. I don't see the West backing down, and I really don't see Putin backing down because, especially with his country loving his strong um, tactics. Yeah, as I say, I mean, they love the strong posturing. Yeah. I don't think they would love necessarily an invasion of the whole of Ukraine and an occupation and so on. Because going back to the people of Ukraine, okay, those in the east may support this. Even there, it's not necessarily all the population. Mm. But outside that, even those who previously were, you know, they'd use Russian as their first language. They said they've kind of believed that Ukraine shouldn't kind of push towards NATO membership, should have good relations with Russia. Since 2014, of course, they've kind of switched much more to saying Ukraine is a European country. We want to orientate towards the EU. Um, Russia is a threat. We don't want to be like Russia. We, and we don't want Putin as our leader. So there would be very, very great opposition within Ukraine. And also the Ukraine armed forces are not so weak these days. Yeah. There's been a lot of build-up of forces, training of forces, and this Western states have also done this, training um, Ukrainian forces. So it wouldn't be a walkover either. Yeah, well, it's not a small country by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> no, and it was interesting. I was looking at the map of it again. I mean, one of, one of the ideas is that maybe Putin, as well as um, kind of almost occupying, you know, um, um, taking away those eastern areas might also try and um, get Mariupol, which is this city near to Crimea, quite a strategic one. Um, but it's still actually, that part of Ukraine is actually quite a small proportion of overall Ukraine. So mm. Ukraine does continue to function, and the vast majority of it is out of Russian control at the moment. Nice. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for coming in, Jim. Always a pleasure. Uh, uh, my pleasure, too. And we'll, um, if, if, if things change, we'll get you in again, and we, um, we'll look at this closely. Thanks. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, well, All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.